Good evening, or whatever time of day you're listening to this. This is an episode from The Garden Space. My name is Isma Tugwanwin. I'm your host as per usual. Trying to get my podcast voice going a little better. I already did an amazing one-time read of this at book club. And it was a live studio audience. I think it was a very magical moment for all of us. I, I really enjoyed it. And I didn't have my mic on. So the sound quality is horrendous. Like, it's it's unusable. I had the mic that is attached to this old-ass 2010 Mac desktop. Like, it sounds horrendous. So I have to do it again. Uh, what is a usual one-take reading is going to be a two-take reading this week. I have episode 12 of The Garden Space for us. Self-love cannot and will not save us. Now, this essay is serving as an introduction to the Deshaun L. Harrison series that we're doing here on The Garden Space, the newsletter, and the podcast on Belly of the Beast, the politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness. There is a book club going on. If you want to be in that book club, you got to be on the emails. And getting on the emails is easy. All you do is go to ismajo.substack.com. With that being said, this was supposed to happen five ever ago, and then the month of November was such a grief-inducing experience for me in my personal life, um, and like in, in many ways in my personal life, in my familial life, in my spiritual life, in my emotional life, etc. That I was like, TikTok and I are taking a, a, a profound, a profound break. All social media, in fact, I was off social media for like six weeks straight, and it was lovely. It wasn't even a hard ban, it was just like a, every time you open the app, ask yourself, is this making you happy? And if not, close the app. And that, it took like three hours of that for me to just be like, oh, all these apps are coming off my phone literally right now today. Oh, this is so good. I also made myself a vanilla blackcurrant tea, black tea. (sighs) What a blessed life this is. This is a long introduction. The jazz is really getting me. I have an essay for you called Self-Love Cannot and Will Not Save Us. I'm excited to read it for you. Uh, this is a two-take reading because the first reading got uh, was subject to my own personal folly. Let's get started. An essay that I dreamt was entitled, I Love, Therefore I Am. Introduction. Deshaun L. Harrison has penned one of my favorite texts in the past five years. I have read it three times in nine months and I have become more and more delighted with the person that I am becoming absorbing these words. In Belly of the Beast, the politics of anti-fatness is anti-blackness, Harrison presents theoretical frameworks that compel us to meaningful action. I will tell you now and I will tell you for free, belief that compels me to meaningful action is exactly my shit. It's exactly my shit. Dr. Bettina Love, in her book, We Want to Do More Than Survive, describes theory as her guiding light, as her way of making sense of why her body and her personhood are routinely marked as undeserving while moving throughout the world. I am grateful to my bones for theory. I'm grateful to my bones for theorists as well. Blessed are the workers who make the way clearer with their weighty, weighty words. I relish texts like this. Harrison, theorist and scholar in black fat gender queer studies, provides a pithy and effective analysis of the black fat masculine body in the ways that it is marked undeserving. Quote unquote. I began a whole book club. <laughs> I began a whole book club to dissect this peer- text among peers, and the link 
if you are listening via any podcast listening apps, Apple, Spotify, wherever you are getting it, someone's actually requesting that I accept this on Podvine. We'll be doing that. For all my Podvine listeners, link for the book club is on the Substack. You should join. I will be producing four essays reading through this text, and for the first essay, which is today, I would like to examine the radical framework for love presented in the first chapter of their book. Beyond Self-Love The chapter Beyond Self-Love begins by interrogating the body positivity movement. Remembering that the thesis of this book argues that anti-fatness and anti-blackness are synonymous twin acting forces of violence on the world, starting with a critique of current politics of fatness proves useful. Oh, hold on. Is someone knocking? Yeah. Hi, Mom. Oh, you're on the phone with Auntie Mary? Okay. I'm going to pause this. Hold on. I don't know why I would ever expect African parents to respect the sanctity of content creation, but anyways. (laughs) Um, So we were talking about the thesis of this book that argues that anti-fatness and anti-blackness are synonymous twin acting forces of violence on the world, this world that we live in. So to prove that thesis, starting with a place of critiquing the current politics of fatness, which is the body positivity movement, it's really useful examining body positivity, the most predominant politics surrounding a contemporary fat person in the Western world, as a politic with a particular goal rather than a neutral or a healthy state of mind to achieve is crucial to understanding what our current limitations are. So Harrison asks, what is the use of body positivity, in quotes, if it only seeks to provide one with a false sense of confidence rather than to liberate all from which cages the body? That's on page two. Coming in hot on page two. I like this inquiry because it forces us to contend with the four quintessential questions of a close read. One, who wrote it? Two, for what purpose? three for what audience, and four what's missing. The body positivity movement at first was a thought campaign headed by and for black, fat folks that wanted space, even if it was just internal space, to think of themselves as lovely. Harrison expands in the first chapter on the kind of fat person that is allowed to garner sympathy and support. And it's one that is constantly trying to lose the weight on them or otherwise outwardly performs health quote-unquote health that makes external or internal love a conditional kind of love as the movement gained notoriety it was hijacked by white it was hijacked by white profit motive and that's what happens to most good things the body positivity movement shrouded itself in a cloak of radicalism that it absolutely did nothing to earn even when looking through the Substack gallery art for visual elements to add to this essay, the first picture returned on the search body positivity was a white feminine frame with direct lighting accentuating the flesh that rolls on her stomach and the panty line. There is not even a guarantee that this person is actually fat in real life. Just the presence of bulbous flesh is enough to have to love your roles, is stated in the caption of the search. It's a, ki- it's a certain kind of race, it's a certain kind of shape, it's a certain kind of disposition that is deemed worthy of protection under the current body positivity politic. Enter the next section, love is a politic. Harrison then describes body positivity as benevolent anti-fatness. 
in that it is masqueraded as some sort of semblance of acceptance for black or for fat people when it is instead an opportunity for thinness to reroute but not give up its hold on fat people's collective liberation that's page four there's bolding and emphasis there in the essay and that is mine the use of the word benevolent here benevolent anti-fatness is brilliant i use the phrase benevolent racism all the time to indicate the exact same thing it's a kind of politic that will smile and lovingly suggest that you assimilate because openly stating that fat people shouldn't exist if they don't affirm and praise thinness or openly stating I never wish to see a black person not affirming my whiteness would be too overt to be marketable. So they smile. As we consider the purposes, the audience, and the missing parts of body positivity, we can see the ways in which the current body positive movement mimics the goals of thinness, which are coming up again from the text. Harrison states the politic of thinness plainly. I should have gotten ahead of myself. They said... As a politic, thinness is a system that seeks to subjugate and ultimately eradicate fatness and fat people. That's page four. I want us all to take note how powerful it is, how powerful it is to consider objects or states of being you might have conceived of as naturally occurring or inevitable happenstance as an intentionally pointed politic that was uniquely and purposefully designed, okay? A politic that is fearfully and wonderfully made, if you will. What are the motives of fit thinness? Who wrote those ideas? And how do they benefit from writing these ideas, from disseminating these ideas, from these ideas being picked up? Who wrote it and what do they get from that? And for what audience? For what audience is the display, the worship, the pursuit of thinness for? What does one stand to gain by converting others to the church of coveting, worshipping thinness? of begging thinness to fall upon them like the scorching sun and dry them up. Do you think, do you think that you would think that thinness is good or right or appropriate or acceptable if you had not been taught that from birth? Enter the next section. Any love that the state shows you is always conditional on your deservingness. The frameworks presented in the first chapter of Belly of the Beast are not just useful to fat studies and scholarships or fat black queer studies and scholarships, but to all areas of life where a certain class of people benefit from an idea hijacking your own self-perception. White supremacist capitalistic patriarchy is so effective because it relies so much on good old-fashioned brainwashing. Consistent results every time. Our systems have done a phenomenal job of convincing us that there are some people that are literally born to suffer. I would even argue that the vast majority, if not the entirety, of these hierarchical systems where the bottom is exploited to continue the ruling privilege of the top are based upon deservingness. The idea that any person has done or can do or did do something to deserve their place in life. The concept of deservingness, here capital D, deservingness, automatically adds conditionary measures to all of our love, including every aspect of our own self-love. I'm going to run that back. The concept of deservingness automatically adds conditionary measures to all of our love, including our aspects of self-love. There's no such thing as unconditional love when your love is doled out on whether you're worthy of it or not. 
because where there is a worthy, there is an unworthy. Where there is a deserving, there is an undeserving. This is the reality that I see as a therapist. I have to constantly remind my clients not to be so hard on themselves or so critical on themselves because all of them, in some way or another, were wading through a system designed to hurt them. Poverty is an intentional genocide. <laughs> the suffering of the lowest class as a spectacle is the point, etc. <laughs> I, I think that's a note that I intended on taking out, but it actually sebates my feelings on that perfectly, so I'm going to leave that in. This is also the reason that my least favorite modality for therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. And not even because it doesn't work. CBT is pretty helpful for circumstances within your control. It's just that my clients were black single mothers. They were folks on Medicaid. They were laborers enduring union strikes. And in whole, they were people that were tasked with the endless plight of survival. Most of the stressors in their lives were firmly outside of their control. And most of the stressors did indeed made their lives significantly worse, like significantly worse than the lives of the more deserved classes sitting above them, including me, who was a cushy university grad student at the University of Chicago, and also including the lives of the people that worked in that private practice, honestly. No matter how much I compelled them to love themselves and be kinder to themselves, self-kindness and self-regard, even self-love, will never and can never do anything to sincerely change their circumstances. Actually, I should say our, our circumstances. I am, even despite the spoils of elite education, <laughs> amongst the debt, amongst the class of the undeserved by many intersections, I am someone who loves myself sincerely. I love myself without ceasing. I am still depressed. I am viciously angered at the circumstances of my most beloved every single day. So I enter the next self-loving community, my most beloved thing. Fun. I'm on a more tender song. Thank you, Linton Marsalis. Marsalis? Someone told me how to say that. I love this man. He's about to perform in Chicago, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make it back to Chicago to see you, but I'm sure as I'm not going to Paris. Fuck the French. Anyways, enter the next section entitled Self-Love in Community, My Most Beloved Thing. If there are Frenchmen that listen to this, you know that I mean the colonizing aspects of French. Uh, from the text, also there's a picture here of the Association of Black Women's Historians, the 2022 executive team, um, because self-love in community, I think, was really highlighted by them this weekend as they put on their conference. Back to the text. Radical self-love, as in self-love with no conditionality, is necessary cultural work, as Taylor states, that's aside from the book. It challenges our relationship to our own bodies and to other people's bodies and that will always be a work that can make our realities after the destruction of the world better than they were before as in our self-love changes our relationship to our bodies our self-love or our perceptions of ourselves change our relationship to other people's bodies and that's work worth doing necessary cultural work however here we are but it does not demand more than that because it cannot demand more. That's page six, bolding mine. The only thing that self-love is accountable to is the self. Self-love can only make demands of the self that it belongs to. Self-love can only make demands of the self that it belongs to. So what is your own self? Who are you? What are you made of? What parts of the whole are you accountable to? What does that whole makeup 
And what does that whole want from you? What does yourself want from you? What do you want from yourself? Your self-love is only accountable to you, so how are you using it? I have two maxims that I often use to refer to my own selfhood. The first is that I am an amalgamation of people that build me. And the second is my politic is alive and she will kill me. Because of the way that I conceive of and receive myself, I consider my personhood a walking paper mache art piece made up of bits of my community. I am little strips of people that love me all stuck together around something full at my car core, full like a jar of dirt, <laughs> full like soft and sinking earth, something you can sink your feet into, like fertile earth. I also want to go back and say a jar of dirt is not a Johnny Depp reference. I just like was a mountain kid that sincerely had jars of dirt, but I wanted to make that super crystal clear. <laughs> I recognize that the only thing that my self-perception shifts in my own internal world is me. The world that we wade through benefits greatly from us individually weighing ourselves by our deservedness, predicated, of course, by what this maniacal and genocidal state told us we should reward ourselves for being. I don't have to yield to that thinking. It's good for me to not yield to that thinking. Those of us that survive, despite the state, will continue to be destabilized by it, internally and externally. That is the sum of my the demand that I can make of my own self-love. Don't bow to them inside of your own mind. Self-love does not shift the love that this world withholds from me. And I'm right to want to be loved by the world. Self-love does not shift the love that this world withholds from you. And you are right to want to be loved by the world. Our original Mother Earth showed us so much endless love. And she and her children were pillaged by a select and detrimental few. You are not wrong or crazy to more not being loved by the world in full because that is a world that we should have. It's a world that we did have and it's a world that's possible again. So self-love is only good for liberating the self of shackles that are self-inflicted. Communal love and communal effort are needed to make a lasting change to any sort of caretaking for the mind. Communal love is the thing that will compel us to recreate a world that loves us by rote by rote, by memory, by design. Why love? Also, why do we need communal love and not just communal space or communal affinity or communal trust? What is love and what's it good for? So again, from the text, if self-love is where we start, it must be the driving force behind our continued struggle. Otherwise, we become stagnant and immovable, fixated on always challenging how we see our bodies and never getting to the place where we no longer have to interrogate our bodies at all. Self-love is only good for releasing self-subjugation. If the love that you cultivate for yourself is content with living only inside of your head, who are you? How do I love myself and not love my mother? Or my sister, my cousin and my compine, my grandmother, my great aunt, my great grandmother who built me and named me with their own hands. I love myself. I love all of my beloveds. I myself am beloved by them and by me. How does my self-love not compel me to act in their best interest when their well-being and my well-being are so intimately bound? Enter the final section. Love is the feeling that compels you to action and love is also the action itself. Love is the testament, the very commitment to action, as much as it is the action itself. 
I love myself so I will act in my self-interest, which leads me to love my community. I love my community and wish to act in our best interest, which leads me to care for myself and for others intimately and without condition. Finding, building, and maintaining community where I can be vulnerable enough to be steadfast and humble and accountable is the work of my lifetime. It makes the commitment to action as natural as inhaling. Self-love is not a saving kind of love. One of the reasons that I love this book so much, that's the end of the essay, by the way, I sign off. One of the reasons that I love this essay so much is because, um, I'm sorry, the essay meaning the chapter, the, this particular chapter that I take as its own like essay within its own right from Belly of the Beast, Beyond Self-Love by Deshaun L. Harrison. One of the reasons I love it so much is because it's uh, a text that lays out a framework that is mobile. like there are lots of ways your politic has to be specific to the people group that you're serving right you create a politic that caters to a specific kind of marginalization because while all of our oppressions are linked and all of our freedoms are linked freedom doesn't look the exact same for every person that's subject to colonization so there's a lot of theory that has to be specific or even somewhat hyper specific to the group that you're serving and this is a very tart like lifting up uh, a group that is at multiple intersections the fat the queer the black and the masculine rather than the feminine it would be really easy to create a a, a politic a framework a logic an ethos that is hyper specific and that might make people feel like they have to pick up like six different books to figure out what this person is saying but the way that they lay out their ideas about examining something as a politic and then using that politic to spur you to action is so simple, straightforward, and effervescent that I can pick it up and place it from self-love of the body and unlearning anti-fatness as anti-blackness to self-love of like the metaphysical body, the, the mind, the space, the soul that's been hijacked by contemporary therapy and uh, capitalistic ideas of wellness and say the same thing that that as a politic is seeking to make you productive rather than well and if you really wanted to be well you would fix the communities and self-love will not save you and it will not save you from the community issues of being subjugated by the state do you like do you know how the the level of like care and brilliance it requires to make a tool so simple that it is that multi-purpose brilliant and bravo i hope my ranting about this book makes sense because it's gonna be the next month of it's gonna be you me the dulcet tones of my jbl speaker tea that always gets cold by the end of this because i forgot to take a sip and my deranged mildly high rantings about how much i love this book i love this book Join book club. If you like this uh, little episode from the garden space, these loose petals, please feel free to build them into somebody else's garden. If you are interested in me talking too much about my personal life, you should join book club or you should become a paid tier to be on the $5 uh, section of the Substack because I be acting a fool. And I unfortunately have some essays that I need to record tonight that I'm like scared of, but we're doing them anyways. Anyways, uh, have a good one. I need more tea. 
I need to calm down. It's like 11 p.m. 